This is a show for grown-ups. And they say bad words. And they say bad words. Say final warning. Final warning. Welcome to the Pod of Blunders. My name is Nate Magnuski, and with me is Star. Star, how the hell are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Every day that I wake up is better than the last, you know? I mean, that's a good way to look at it. So, Star, what first got you into game design? Into game design? Game design's a weird one. I started making games, like, I think I've always been making games or making mechanics for games. Mm-hmm. Like, when Pokemon first came out, I spent ages making my own cards, trying to sort of reverse engineer how that worked. They were all terrible. <laughs> I don't, I wish I had them now. I wish I had, because they'd be so funny to just post. But I, they were in a notebook that's probably had Mr. Blobby on it and was burned years <laughs> ago at this point. But then I, you know, I kept doing it. I did a lot of LARPy stuff in university and then built from there. And then I spent, I moved to Canada I had a couple of years where I was doing stuff on my own because, oh, visa requirements for work get weird. Yeah. And then when that got sorted, I was like, oh, I've got a load of stuff. Oh, hey, there's sites I can post this on. Let's do that. <laughs> and then I started on with the DMs Guild and I was like, oh, I can actually post original stuff on sites like Itch. And then Steam rolled over and said some of those old projects technically come back now as, I hope, hopefully much better because some of them were quite bad but actually one of the projects i'm working on right now kind of has its roots in something i did like when i was like 19 so oh, that's cool it's kind of cool yeah so what was the first game like a full game independent game that you remember designing oh the f- first independent game would have been would have been rejoice which is actually still an edge mm-hmm. uh rejoice was yeah, Rejoice is the fusion of a card game, improv game, and a TTRPG, mm-hmm. where you're playing as the page of a great hero, and your job is to basically motivate them by giving them speeches. And so the whole twist is that you don't know the stats of your hero. Only the DM knows. So you have to be, like, learning slowly. Are they failing this? Do I need to go kick them? Because I just like the idea of... Um, sort of the page hero dynamic is cool and I also like something like Kiff in Futurama where you get like the hero is an idiot but their underlings actually quite good or probably the best one is um, Jeeves in Jeeves and Wooster the RPG Woodenhouse books where it's like obviously yeah Bertie Wooster is an idiot and Jeeves is there going like, oh time time to clear up again and use cunning plans to get around these problems and that was what Rejoice kind of was and that was kind of my first I think it was the first thing I made for Itch but I put something up before that, which would have been, oh, I've been Comedy of Errors, which was a, a game about doing a play while throwing things at people, which I think is, if you condense the microcosm of my design philosophy, if in doubt throw things at people is kind of where I come from. I, I can't think of a better mechanic to include in games. <laughs> I love physical props for stuff, so it's uh, they come up quite a lot. But it's like, here's something you can do. Uh, the thing I've got for level one actually this year was because the theme was masks. And so my first thing, I, when I saw that prompt, my first thought was, if you don't end this, mar- end this game with an actual mask, I have failed. That This game needs arts and crafts to count. And so I submit that, and that's going to be free RPG day this year. You better enjoy my game of arts and crafts and cults. It's my favorite As- combination. Everything a growing child needs. That's right. Summer camp wouldn't be complete without a cult, you know? I mean, what are summer camps, really, but very localized cults? Mm. De- <laughs> My knowledge of like summer camps comes from the one Simpsons episode where they go to Camp Krusty. I have. <laughs> they weren't a thing where I grew Same. up. Yeah. It's fine. Same thing. <laughs> so we've had a unique problem with some of your games on this show. Don't be afraid. This is going to get better. We have too many of your games that we want to play or review. And like, we can't turn this into the star show as much as I want to. My other players are like, we need to play some other things once in a while. So my question for you is, can you please stop making such good games? Uh, you can buy my silence if you want. Ooh, that's a potential thing. Like, yeah, okay. What's your price? I'll just be like an ornamental hermit. I'll live in your garden in a little cave. <laughs> 
Hmm. I can make that happen. I have a couple acres in the back. <laughs> if you go for the milk, want a game? <laughs> back in the cave. <laughs> Not until next year. We can do one a year. That's the rules. <laughs> uh, I, I'm glad I have a decent hit ratio because someday. Some, I mean, your games are also wildly different. They're all like completely off the wall. There's, there's a few small connections I've noticed because I have that weird brain that I like to look for connections between things. Um, how do you know if an idea is worth bringing to the full light? Like, how do you like making a full game out of? If if it just has, if it kind of has legs, effectively, hmm. if I can keep thinking about something for long enough, then it tends to sort of build itself in a logical series, logical, logical to my brain, which, ooh. but it will build on itself. Hmm. So, to use the example of Lonely Hawk Pro Skateboarding, that whole idea started as. It was a conversation with the artist Mimolette Monster, who is both an amazing artist and puts up with my bullshit on the regular, which is impressive. So I kind of thought, we were kind of thinking, like, how do I want to make a business card game where the card is the entire game? That was my personal challenge. No dice, no coins, no sheet. The card is the game. And I was like, oh, man, it looks a bit like a skateboard. <laughs> and then I had this thing of Tony Hawk. And I was like, oh, she's American. Like, oh, you've never heard of Tony Hawk, who's a British comedian who gets confused for Tony Hawk a lot. He has a bit about it in his one of his shows. And then it's that building. I was like, oh, man, Ollie. There's like this group called Ollie who go looking for eagles. It's like, this sounds so Burger King Kids Club. It hurts. <laughs> and then just from there, I was like, just keep riffing on this thing of like, oh, kickflip and bird spot as the two moves. And was where sort of the recurring thing of having now, which has become a recurring thing of having Pep Oak as a terrible soda brand appear in everything I do in their own way. So yeah, it's the idea of just, if you can keep building on an idea and it kind of seems to make sense. Mm. I have a, like a document on my hard drive, which is gigantic at this point, which is sometimes just random phrases that I have or just like title ideas or bits. And sometimes I'll sit there for you know year, two years. But some, some of them you sit there and go, oh, this goes to this, goes to this, goes to this. And this just seems like a mechanic. I think part of it is just giving yourself the freedom to just riff on an idea and know that, hey, things don't come fully formed. It's fine to sit there just sort of bouncing words around in your head and then go, these two make a connection. This makes sense. And then sometimes things do come fully formed and come from experience, which is what Malware Mayhem was, was literally me for a project I'm working on, trying to find a very old piece of footage. And the only way I could find it was some bizarre file sharing site. I was like, this needs to be a game because it feels like a game mm. where the failure state is my computer exploding. <laughs> <laughs> I never got that bloody file either, so I'm oh. slightly bitter. <laughs> One day, it's your white whale now. <laughs> if, the, if the project it does involve me basically tracking down something and it's, it's gone horribly. <laughs> <laughs> I got it did involve contacting uh, the agent of a musician and I got what I believe is the most polite please fuck off letter I've ever received in my life <laughs> which I think is like one step away from don't contact me ever again <laughs> okay final warning hard line here <laughs> please stop asking about things that happened in the early 2000s <laughs> like sorry those are the before times we're trying to forget <laughs> you keep bringing it up <laughs> I th what I think is I think the thing that I'm asking about, I think it was technically illegal. Oh. <laughs> it was a stage musical based, and I don't think they had the rights. <laughs> so I think what happens, <laughs> they got shut down. And I asked me, like, do you want to incriminate yourself? <laughs> I can't prove it. <laughs> yeah, hi, I'm not a cop, but could you please give me some evidence about your crimes? I swear I'm not a cop, though. <laughs> I'm here from Walt Disney, please present kneecaps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, just yeah giving yourself freedom i think is an important thing and i think a part of that is especially when you're starting out developing mm -hmm. is accepting that anything can become anything if you give it enough time i think at least a lot of times you feel like everything has to be looked through of kind of the big four lenses it's either a fantasy game where you're you know frodo baggins shivering sauron a sci-fi game where it's either star wars or firefly or, you know hey you can kind of do anything with this medium because it's inherently flexible to the point of being non-existent at times mm. so you know well, that's it. and that can be you starting off with just a really stupid phrase that sticks in your head and thinking this is funny 
or it can be sort of a more developed thing, thinking this is a space I want to explore, this is a genre I want to explore. This is me wanting to recreate something very specific that I just like, and then going from there. So is that how your game Bus Blockers came about? It was just like the idea of the last blockbuster and you ran with it? Bus, Bus Blockers was weird, because that was during uh, the Wretched Alone Jam. That's why I'd done mm-hmm. Magical Malfeasance, and something that kept bugging me during the writing of that was the Jenga Tower. Sorry, Falling Block Tower. Yes. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> All hail Lord Hasbro. Um, and that's the thing <laughs> I kept having with it was I really struggled with a horror game with the Jenga Tower, because like, the Jenga Tower falling is funny. I just find it amusing, because it's loud, it's brat it's like this doesn't feel like tight horror to me mm. this feels like classic slapstick circusy comedy where everything goes wrong and it kind of reminded me of like again sitcoms it's kind of like oh just gonna do this oh no everything's come collapsing down around me and that's sort of thing that how would you take that mechanic set and make it into a comedy and then it i say well you know what has this building up and Blastbuckers kind of started around the uh, kick it down the road mechanic that that game has, where, mm. you, where you can say, I'm not going to pull anymore. I'm going to wait. And then, of course, at the end, you get told, oh, by the way, you've got to do all of them now. You can't finish with these sort of in your pool. I was like, that feels like sort of trying to keep the lights on of a store. And um, so I was thinking of an early Muppet show where Kermit is desperately trying to keep this show on the road. I was like, what company kind of embodies that? And I want to say that it was kind of universal. Mm. And it's blockbuster because you still see them, and it's amazing how sort of blockbuster nostalgia I think is transversed to a generation who never had blockbuster as a cultural force. Yeah, especially in the US, because uh, again, I grew up in the UK and we had blockbuster, but we didn't mm. really have the kind of vibe around them. Maybe it's because I grew up in a small town and our blockbuster was rubbish. <laughs> But like there wasn't like all that kind of nostalgia stuff wasn't really there. Like when people talk about video rentals, especially Americans, you see this thing of like color and certain smells. I never really had that, but I find it really fascinating. And one of my favorite uh, websites is a site called Dinosaur Dracula. It's written by a guy I believe called Matt. He's an amazing guy because he has this ability to make anything sound interesting. Like he could write about literal garbage and make it fascinating. And he did a whole series going through around old video stores. And what I was noticing, like, I'm having this weird nostalgia for them. And I've never been <laughs> to these times. Like, I know my city has a video store. I think it mostly sells pornography at this point. Because I yeah. don't know who. I've never seen anyone go in or out. It's. I have a sneaking switch near an airport. So I presume it's for businessmen who come in and want something in their hotel room. Yeah. But um, that, in, like, that kind of feels like a business where the failure is kind of this accepted thing mm. and where sort of the idea of sort of fighting against it. And then I started, started doing research and you find that every now and again, you'll find a website have the last blockbuster. And there's been like five last blockbusters at this point. A couple of them are fake, which is a, how I found that out. So really? that kind of, is, yeah, there's a, a lot of people make fake Twitter accounts for just fun. Mm. And then there's a couple of places that have opened up for like a temporary sort of stunts and there's, there was a fried chicken restaurant that became a blockbuster for like a week to get in the wow. papers and then you know, mm. that kind of thing which is interesting because the person who owns the blockbuster trademark now will send you letters mm. which is why that is never mentions blockbuster <laughs> <laughs> because uh i got i got a letter oh i got an email from i'm not sure how if they could be bullshitting me but it was just, i can't be bothered to deal with this like take, take, this take me to court on my game design. I've got no money anyway. <laughs> We're wasting <laughs> both of our time. But um, yeah, and it just felt it's very natural place to have this. And how uh, then some other stuff came in with that with Ken. How it's one of the few stores where you do get this recurring traffic, where you get a much bigger profile of someone mm. because of things like film choice and. Like, again, how we look at Netflix now, how it builds your list. Yeah. That's very unique, like how it does that. Mm-hmm. And compare, like, I've ruined friends' lists by showing them my horrible taste in movies. And for like, the next six months, that's all you see. It's just, oh, God, an- another Chinese romance movie? Stop it. <laughs> and so that's, you build a really good picture of someone from the films they like. And said you then you have this incoming traffic and that nostalgia. And this seems to work. And it keeps that comedy element where 
this isn't a horror game, even though it kind of is, there is still a warmth to it and still this idea of like this poor manager just doing their best when everything's falling apart around them. Yeah, and then it just kind of grew from there. I started adding prompts like, hey, this actually became a full list, and that's perfect. When I was playing it, I used to work at a Blockbuster. I was a, a shift manager for years and years at a Blockbuster, and that was back in 2002 or so. And I was just like, it was such a heavy dose of nostalgia for me. It was like mainlining it right into my veins. It was so good. I'm, I'm actually really proud of that review just because I never worked in them. I never had that experience. And so much of that was me researching. It's amazing these days how the internet is, is that I can find personal blogs from 2009 of people who were, I can find like random, like some of the manuals and stuff, you can still find them online. And it's like, so someone who worked, they went, oh, this is nostalgia. Great. I actually think I'm really happy with that because this isn't my experience. This is me having going through sort of old manuals, old blogs, like way back machining the website repeatedly and trying to sort of make a guess and filtering it through my nostalgia and I have I love old media formats, old dead media formats in general. Mm. I find them fascinating. Yeah. So it was nice to be able to use that in this way, sort of the human side of these formats, which you don't really talk about that often. Mm. Because I mean, up until what, two thousand four, when when it sort of sort of broadband become vaguely everybody four or five. Yeah, around there. Mid, this mid this the media odds. would be in a diary that would have would be like my old Pokemon cards right in a bin somewhere and that's the bizarre thing about the internet <laughs> is there's all this information so being you can build these experiences based on very specific points in time and very specific areas in time well, i think it's a beautiful game because it, it's niche in a way in terms of what it deals with but it is so pervasive in the culture it's just like everyone knows about video store so many people have worked in retail or worked in a family business, that sort of thing. That's you might not have worked at a blockbuster, but it's a very highly relatable subject. I definitely feel the failing business thing because my hometown was a tourist town. Hmm. So every year you'd get someone come in like, oh, I'm going to open a cafe. Dead in the season. Because after tourist season goes, population's down by three quarters. And you've got to, and the tourist market is very different from the local market. Mm-hmm. specifically tourists have more money because they're more willing to spend locals probably aren't and that definitely resonated with me because i've seen a couple of those businesses where you kind of go down the street and go oh that store's opened give it three weeks <laughs> the quickest i've ever seen was one week there was a hummus store that closed within a week it was it seems like a, yeah <laughs> i don't understand why that existed mm. but hey they, they lasted a week, which you would think you'd planned for kind of longer than that, but I guess they didn't. My guess is that they had one big shipment that all expired at the exact same time. And then they were like, oh no, we did oh. so bad. Or they just <laughs> forgot to order everything else, but forgot to order the hummus. <laughs> got peanut chips, we got tabbouleh, what else are we forgetting? No, that's it, really. What else do we need? It's so, low fat. It's low fat hummus. It only exists if you're not observing it. <laughs> exactly. The uncertainty hummus. <laughs> it's inside this box. Maybe it's not. You could say. <laughs> Until you buy it, you won't know. <laughs> hummus the loot box. Yes. I think I've had the next business idea. All right, we're equal partners. Okay. <laughs> we're gonna pitch it to fourteen-year-old gamers. Ah, yes, the true market for hummus. Yes, exactly. Some of it will come in a, like a golden box. It'll have no value towards the game whatsoever or enhanced nutrition, but... It'll contain it'll... less hummus, is the irony. Yeah, exactly, it'll be rare. The, bo- the box is expensive, that's the problem. <laughs> that's right, it's all about the show. Gold paper. It's all the razzle-dazzle that gets them in the end. <laughs> uh. Well... As I mentioned before, and I'm trying to get this back on topic because otherwise I will just type about hummus for the next hour and a half. Hummus <laughs> podcast. Yes, hummus cast. <laughs> to hell with Thomas Jane. It's hummus now. <laughs> Thomas Jane slowly rotating in a pot of hummus. Stop, stop. I'm getting aroused. <laughs> Speaking of aroused, this is the best segue I could come up with. So be ready for this. You have quite a few games that deal with romance as a topic. I do, and it's weird. 
<laughs> yeah, I want to know like why you keep returning to this well, <laughs> the same theme. Why? <laughs> I, I think romance is just fun. I, I'm pure, pure, unadulterated trash in my taste in media. I two things I love is stupid hope punk and romance dramas. Don't ask me why. I have no idea. I apologize profusely, but I think it's an interesting thing to do, and I. I think romance as a topic isn't explored very much, especially non-human, non-human romance. That's a terrible way to put that. <laughs> sort of the romantic ideals that you have towards concepts, which mm. sort of not the sexual romance where, you know, Romeo meets Juliet and they kill 12 people. Mm-hmm. So obviously I have done that. Why it's so hard to find a place to fuck is basically... <laughs> I love us to my early twenties, where oh, shared housing, man, N- not not good, not good, possible. <laughs> oh yeah, not good. Thin walls, thin, thin walls, man. <laughs> um, but there's also sort of like romance, other things, and that was like the forecast was that kind of idea of how the shipping forecast mm. romanticizes the sea yeah. in this way that so you look at how you listen to that broadcast of what is literally what's the weather like in the English Channel. And then you look at the number of people who actually are involved in the shipping industry and it's way lower because it has this kind of romantic ideal to it and mm. said that very, there's a very hypnotic rhythm and yeah. how it approaches the topic in a way that sounds like a fantasy that's close but far. And it's a, there's a lot you can do with that. And I think there's just, romance just has so many options for both the environment and for players. And it's nice to have a uh, non-violent stuff. I think, yeah. filtering through the combat lens is fine and I say someone who does the combat lens enough anyway I think it's just nice to do other things sometimes Yeah, and um, I think it just offers a different alternative for people who want something a little bit different and uh, I think we sort of underestimate how many game groups are couples mm. especially these especially these days can't leave the bloody house <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> during, during the lockdown it's still running in and just dub in whatever month you release this in <laughs> it'll still be locked down somewhere yeah, yeah. Sadly. <laughs> that's the new it's four o'clock somewhere <laughs> yeah, it's locked down the clock <laughs> get that on red bubble <laughs> but i think we're me how many groups are made up of couples or intimate partners mm-hmm. or overly close very close friends i know i mean i I have friends with dirty minds in general, so sexual content is just kind of par for the course. Of course, with all this kind of stuff, you have to balance it. It's not for every group. Mm. There are certain groups I would not want to play a romance game with, and then there are certain groups who want to play, want to play a romance game with me, so it kind of balances out. Mm. I think just there's a lot... Dating itself has so much kind of friction, comedy... You can take uh, the date, and it, you see it in so much fiction. The date is used as a framing device, mm. from like the old sitcom trope of "Oh, I've agreed to four at once, and I've got to jump between them all," to kind of very intense, sort of romantic friction. Even stuff like you can argue "My Dinner with Andre." Mm. That classic film is basically a date movie. It's two mm. people exploring intimacy in a very unusual it's definitely non-traditional for the time way but it's there to set up a philosophy discussion and to spawn 101 simpsons jokes and i think you can do that here where so those intimate moments can be used to tell so many different stories and you can take them in so many different ways i think it's a nice setup so we're we plan very far ahead for the podcast next valentine's day we're planning on running why is it so hard to find a place to fuck well that's gonna be fun what suggestions do you have to make sure this goes off without a hitch? Uh, <clears throat> read the start. Uh, there's a whole thing on consent. It obviously is a game inherently about mm-hmm. my early 20s where I was a slut. So you do have to warn people going in. And I I go quite hardcore on that just for like, please don't buy this to play with like a kid. It's, it, it, in general, one of the problems you deal with with this kind of thing is always... Mm-hmm gating content well and that no site has good gating for anything itch does all right but it's still this is 18 or over okay what does that mean 
Right. Does, does that mean sword? Does that mean and then oh, cultural things with sex and violence and mm-hmm. bizarre? But definitely consenting, make sure everyone knows kind of what's going on here and making sure people are comfortable with each other. Because while the game never forces players into romantic situations, if one player isn't, it it doesn't break the game as much as it probably doesn't give them full access to the mechanics. Like There is totally an option for players to sort of be sort of sitting back and just being with everyone else. But yeah, the entire point of the game is trying to find this place. I think also just respectful. There's definitely an element there where you can talk about how people have with how, when you approach real life romance, how people interact and how some people are willing to enjoy different things, like different things, and sometimes settle for different things. Because when we talk about sort of the place as a concept, the idea comes through of that for some people, they can have a whole list. For some people, that list will just be, it's safe. And sort of approaching that, that, hey, some people will come in with maybe being in from positions where they couldn't be safe to do that. So just being paired and just take it nice and slow. And obviously, uh, if you want to use uh, the cards, are they called X cards? Yeah. That's it. I keep getting. I always get them confused with um, the other thing. Z cards for some, the X cards, lines right. and veils, and all that. I yeah. do mention those at the start of the book. Uh, but the uh, X cards are great. I would also maybe suggest having a more subtle way than the X card, just to draw the DM's attention to things. Uh, I've also. I know a few people. I know do uh, gripping, which is quite quite neat. Only works if you're on a small table. Mm-hmm. But just being able to reach under the table and grip the DM's leg is kind of a hey huh. moment. Again, it only works if you're sort of open to having your body touched and touching other people. Mm-hmm. But it's nice because it's a very simple way to be able to, like, no one else knows that you've just done that. Mm. And also and... defining what your safety tools mean. Because mm. for some people, like, uh, one of my sort of issues with lines and veils is I don't think it's granular enough. Always, of course, the problem is you can always get too granular and then it becomes useless because it's far too granular. But there are a lot of things that, like for me, avails in specific ways. Because I say it as a, an absolute coward who's also a massive horror fan. Mm-hmm. So there's a big difference between kind of your cocky 80s jock getting smacked by Freddy Krueger and then thrown off a building versus your more kind of modern, normal person getting punched in the face. Like, it's not the violence that's my problem there. It's the power dynamic at play. The 80s, the 80s is so far from anyone who's ever existed. Right. And Freddy, and Freddy Krueger isn't a risk. Right. Whereas the punch in the face is less violent, but it could happen to someone. Right. You could go out to Dortmund and get punched in the face. It happens. Hmm. It's fucked up. It happens. But understanding that players will approach things in this more granular manner and allow them to define kind of what that veil means to them, if it is something they just want to avoid entirely, or if it's something that's only in this situation, I'm fine with it, but if it becomes more grounded, then that's a problem, etc. And I'd also say just, if you're doing that over several sessions, do, do it twice. Do it beforehand for general, and then on the day. Which is something you see on a lot of improv groups do as well, you know. Everyone kind of knows where everyone else stands, but it's best to do it on the day because sometimes someone just had a bad day or something in the news, you know, and there's some days where you just don't want to deal with it. Like, I've totally had days where I've been like, yeah, this is normally something I would really like, but today I just, no. Really solid advice. We were also thinking about running a heart full of trash. That's good. Save up your recycling. (laughs) So, yeah, so I, I think we'll have to do that if we were finally able to get together to run it, because... Uh... <laughs> I mean, if you've got a good throw, you could throw it over six feet. That's a fair point. <laughs> Air cannon. <laughs> Artillery <laughs> firing recycling. <laughs> yes, okay. We need to discuss that, but first, can you tell us about the game? What is Heartful oh, of Trash? Heartful of Trash is a raccoon dating simulator. <laughs> it starts, like, a couple of my games started with, I saw a jam with the garbage game name. And I immediately went, I do not care what the text says. This game will involve literal garbage. Same with uh, Pro Skate Birdie. 
say this is a card game, I'm taking this to its illogical conclusion. That will be one card. The trash game will not be about trash. It will involve trash. If you're not handling lots of trash, I have failed as a designer. And it also, again, I love props and kinetic elements. I think they add so much fun, especially for people coming in from outside of the TTRPG space, being able to be like, hey, this is, you get to play with a prop. Uh, Hearth Trash is you playing two raccoons who are going on a date. And it's basically inherently rock, paper, scissors, where one person picks a piece of trash, one person picks one of the bins, and if you've got the right thing, the right, the pit, that bit of trash goes into that bin, hey, that's a success. If it doesn't, things go wrong. And it's, again, it's that same idea of taking like the date as a concept that can be used for comedy in this case. It's awkward, and it's two raccoons kind of failing, and there's also the inherent humour of just they're little raccoons, but they're in a trash can having a date, which is both adorable and absurd at the same time. Um, but yeah, that's a really... I really like that game just because I think it's a game you can play while doing something else, which I quite like. It's very easy to sort of start bouncing off someone while sorting trash. It's nice environmental, and I think, yeah. It's one of my favourite little creations just because of that. It sort of opens up this space where we don't normally play games when we do. And I think the kinetics of garbage are fun. Like, compactors, they make a fun... We've got to admit, they make a fun noise. Yeah. And there is a certain fun of throwing things into bins. <laughs> like, I mean, what, I'm sure if you remember when the very first iPhone came out, what was the, the first big game was throwing a ball of paper right. into the a paper bin. paper swipe thing, because yeah. That's this one of these weird things we all do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of these weirdly universal experiences, and you see it referenced in media from Japan, from the Middle East, from Europe. Human see whole, human have thing going whole, human want to throw. <laughs> because it's just satisfying. And yeah, that's what Heart for the Trash is. It was like, how do I make a game where I force people to put their hands in a bag and pull out some trash? If you're going to play it, obviously wash for the recycling first, but you should be doing that anyway. Don't tell me how to live my life. <laughs> I'm going to get sticky and covered in bees. That's my prerogative. <laughs> uh, that'd be good. You can put it game of Honey Heist. Ah, see? Collaboration, if, I appreciate it. Is, is there a game? If there's a game based on, that'd be great. It's like a, like a whole animal, like just a whole marathon that just goes from animal to animal to animal game. You could hmm. probably do that. It's been enough. Yeah, I bet. Nice podcast I launched. You're the first guest, and we're going to figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> How many animals can we string together? But yeah, that was so much fun. As just again, that was another idea where it kind of started off with this concept, and then I started riffing on it of like, how would I make? So that came to basically stupid personal challenge of game involving trash. Mm. To how do you mechanic trash? I can't guarantee what bins someone else has. I know what bins I have, but that might not be universal. I can't guarantee what trash someone else will have. So how do I deal with that? Oh, I do it as then it came like, oh, rock, paper, scissors, because it doesn't matter what the rock is, what the paper is in that game. As long as you have the chart, you can do any variation of it. And there are some regional variants of rock, paper, scissors that don't have one of the things. They have a different name for it. Cool. So that's how I do that. And it's like, how, what, how would this make sense? It's like raccoon, say you trash. And then, oh, what would get them sorted around? And that had this idea of them dating. And then, yeah, I was like, actually, I quite like this. And just build and build and build. That's what I appreciate, I think, most about your designs, is that a lot of the premises are, are goofy. They're silly premises. And you could have just let the premise carry it and put it in mediocre you know, design work and just kind of been like, eh, I'm going to phone it in because it's cute and that'll sell enough. But all your games are incredibly well thought out and well designed, carefully designed. And I really I, respect I, that. I think chaotically designed, but I'll take it. <laughs> I think half of, half of it is linking mechanics. And that's, that's the hardest thing. There's so many ideas that I love, but just you need the mechanic to make sense for them. Mm-hmm. Especially, uh, I think, as an indie creator, this is much more important because you get one shot with every game. That's basically it. I can't in six months issue 
heart full of trash 2.0 even though i've done i did that for one game but that's fine i can't issue a, a book and have it guaranteed for people to understand that i can't issue unearthed trash every three months to fix my fuck-ups i stuff kind of people have one chance to look at it and while i can update it down the line that's not a guarantee that that audience is still going to be there so part of that is being deliberate with what i do and it's also helped and this is one of the biggest tips i give to any sort of person starting out is be deliberate but be less focus in a bit i think the big problem you see with the i had this so much like you start off designing you try and design 5e and say, oh, so I need 500 monsters, 478 pages of things. Then you open the back page of that book and you look at the credits and you see there's like 100 people funded by a company who can spend however many months they want with however many people they want. If they want to hire the whole population of Bolivia to come in and write, they can do that. Where obviously you can't. I would love to, but I can't. I'm restricted to me and whoever's stupid enough to agree to work with me. So focus in on core mechanics and just really work with those. And it's better to have one really well thought out mechanic than 87 uh, kind of all right, they're doing all right there mechanics. So I'd rather build the games around sort of that core than... It's also a big reason why I very rarely... Uh, build original games around SRD systems these days just because I like being able to go from the ground up where it's like if this isn't important to this setting it's not in there this doesn't need a rule for this situation because yeah, this isn't ever going to happen so here's what this idea is at its core it's really fascinating it's, it's solid advice for a new designer and I think that's it's one of the joys of an indie scene is that you you can be as niche as you want. You can be as deliberate as you want. There's no one saying you can't do it because you, you're publishing for yourself. True. I think I think no one says that, but I definitely think there is kind of that pressure because obviously the games you're going to see coming in are those big games. Mm -hmm. But it's the old thing of don't compare your YouTube video to Steven Spielberg's Jaws because one is someone at the top of their craft who's been going for years with literally a blank check. Versus, you know, you in your bedroom with one camera, which is from 2012. You can't compare them. It's unfair to compare them. Obviously, you can look at, but that's a skill you've got to develop, effectively, is being able to look at other people's work and learning from it, while also understanding your limitations with finances. Like, I've always joked, if I had the chance, I'd make a Godzilla film. I'd, like, mini sets and big suits. Never going to have the money for it. No, it's, it's just not going to happen. Well, until someone... Maybe one day. Maybe one day Toho totally lose their mind and hire me. <laughs> but so what's, what I have to look for... So when I look at those films, I look at them and go, what can I take away from this that isn't just stuff I can't afford? And you can say, like, oh, how they frame Godzilla to give the idea of weight. Or how lighting here works. Sure, I don't have that rig, but I can take the concept. Same with games. You can look at how certain games handle different things, how they present different ideas, while still being aware of every paragraph in this book is the work of eight people. Right. Obviously, you are the work of one person. And it's unfair to compare, especially if you're doing, especially if you're not professional full-time designer. And I'm really lucky. One thing that really helped me was I know a lot of people in the video games industry. Like a lot of friends work in that. And seeing the difference between large and small studios with how workloads work is really eye-opening to that. Because basically, you'll see like people who work in the gigantic studios like, oh, this is the thing I did. And it's like a menu detail. Because they can afford to do that. Because right. there's 18 other people all doing a little bit. And it builds and builds and builds. Where on a small studio, someone's like, oh, I had to do all of this. I had to build this whole thing. And sure, it might be less polished, but they didn't. They had to deal with the work that those eighteen people in the biggest studio would have been doing. So you have to be loving to yourself in that way, I think, and just very accepting. It's something that's hard to learn, even in an indie scene, because you come in. People come in from the games that are good's an unfair word. 
coming from the games that are very successful. And the games that are very successful are the ones that are in big stores that have their sort of actual play in, you know, actual play podcasts dedicated to them and stuff in stores. I think that can be quite a culture shock. And I think it's definitely something the industry needs to work, work at a little bit is helping those people get over that initial hump mm. of my one page game does not look like this $90 hardback. It's like, well, it's not going to. That's not on you. That's the economics. And that ain't your fault. And I think that's the, if you're starting out, the best thing you can do is jams. Jams are just great for giving you a focus kick in the ass sometimes. For being like, here is your layout, here is your brief, you have two weeks, do it. And I think it's just, and it kind of levels the playing field a bit, which is what I really like about why trying it so many newer designers to do them. It's like, it gives you a better idea of how you're approaching things. Because if everyone has two weeks, that means it doesn't just become whoever has the most money produces the best thing, which is a problem with video. If you look at itch video game jams last six months, you get like, oh, little Kevin who's 14 in his bedroom. And then what is basically a studio of 13 people who have made like a full three. It's not really a fair comparison. Yeah. Where those small jams are great because like everyone has a week. Sure, the person with the more money is going to have an advantage, but it's not massively different. You can all see kind of where your idea came from and build it into something that's finished. And having finished things is good. <laughs> and it's been sort of something up to now on everyone I've been onto is if you want to be good in the future, be shit now. Getting my first things, I would say rejoice looks like utter ass. I need to redo it. I'm actually embarrassed, but it looks so but it was my first time working with PDF layouts. It was before I had proper PDA, PDF software. Mm. So I think every page in that is technically Photoshop. So Word document, in fact, it looks awful. It's really <laughs> bad. So I need to redo it. But it's how it goes. You have to spend time building things up. We had a, an interview with a guy named Jordan Palmer who said the same thing. He's like, if you want to be good, you have to be willing to be absolute dog shit first. Yep. And like make your mistakes now because then that saves you time in the future. But if you refuse to make mistakes, well, you're going to make them later on then instead of now. You have to be willing to suck. Yeah, that's true. I think, I think it's it's hard to accept. I think it's the problem. Mm. I think it's actually because of we have kind of a completion culture in general. I mean, most industry scenes have this, where completed works are what you see. Mm. So even with me, because even when people say to me, like, I've had, a, you know, you say, why are they good? It's like, you have not seen the 18 drafts or how many times I started this and stopped it or how many times someone, one of my friends had to deal with me going, oh my God, I'm the worst thing to ever exist. Please put a bullet in me. <laughs> like, you don't see that. Right. And that does cloud your vision of what you're working on. And you have to sort of realize that, yeah, everything goes through failure. Some I've got games I made then scrapped because I hated them. Mm. And maybe maybe in six months, I'll go back to them. And that'd actually be... I've, I've, realized, I've totally turned this question into a long way around here. But another thing I'd say to indie developers getting in as a tip is never delete anything. Even as a writer, I say, don't delete. Deleting things is false economy. I have a hidden folder on my desktop that's literally called Exile. It's where the naughty projects go. Because it's like out of sight, out of mind. But if in nine months I go, actually, wait, mm. it's still there. I can go back and pull it out and put it back in the nice, good projects folder. And I, I say that now, literally one of the things I'm working on at the moment is it's a writing project, but it started four years ago. But I scrapped it because I didn't like it. And then I suddenly had this, wait, I know how to do this now. This is a character I know how to write now. So that's back out and I'm, it's nearly done. I hope, like when four years ago, I would have wanted to burn it on site. And yeah, part of that was why I looked at it back. It's like, this isn't as bad as I remember it being. Like it's janky, but it's not bad. I think I just hated it. It has some kernels you can harvest out of there. So it's something you can build off of. Oh yeah. And every, everything is a learning experience in its own little way. So 
one game that we recently reviewed and didn't add for in one of our previous episodes was this game takes place entirely in a Mega Mall parking lot. Mega Mart parking lot. Forgive me. This wasn't part of a game gem, though, right? This was a, a, your own. This was, was your own creation. That was that was my own. That whole thing came about. <clears throat> that was a fun one to make. Uh, that was basically the sister game to you have one ability, the ability to fuck this up. Because mm-hmm. that had the same kind of idea of it was restricting player agency. Uh, so Mega Mart does it by location. You're in a car park. That's it. While fuck this up was no characters. Everyone had pulled from this one stat and it's useless. And it was kind of sort of this, I love the idea of small spaces. Because I think they often said uh, bus blockers pulls on that quite heavily. Malware Mayhem pulls on that as well. Because I think there's a lot you can do with them and how that space changes over time. A thing with a lot of sort of fantasy and sci-fi games is you'll be going planet to planet and it doesn't matter if you crater somewhere. Because you're never going back there. So you don't really have to worry. Where I like the idea of like, it's a very, again, it's an idea you see a lot in sitcoms of like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. And then two scenes later, oh, now that's going to become a problem because I've done this thing. And so that's doing it. And it was a tribute basically to, uh, I don't think it was a flash game, but it was a game called Pick Up the Phone Booth and Isle, which is one of my favorite little projects. Mm-hmm. It was inspired by two other games, one called Pick Up the Phone Booth and one called Isle. <laughs> uh, basically, it was a one-turn adventure game, like the old text adventures. Uh, p- p- pick up the phone booth if you were stood in the phone booth and aisle was you in the um, supermarket it's like you have one turn and pick up the phone booth in aisle because it had so many writers as like a community project was great because it responded to everything any word you could think of it would give you a different ending for and oh. my biggest memories is stuff like dance waltz and waltz with phone booth all give vastly different responses <laughs> because it was planning around you exploring them all. And it could do this because the location was very limited. Mm. There wasn't sort of 15 locations to write for. There was this one location and they could really play with different endings playing off each other. Howls, like certain things mentioned in one would come back in another. Even one of the, the true endings was basically pointing out was basically the big twist that all the endings had just happened. So you were literally stuck in a supermarket now having every ending at once. And it, I love that idea of here's a very limited space where the chaos you're creating can build and build and build. I think supermarket parking also weirdly fascinating in that they're one of these bits of design where the more you notice them, the worse of a job they're doing. If you That's... remember a car park for being a car park, it's probably terrible. You'll remember it for where it is and what you're doing during it, but not for itself. Like, I think in the one I know locally to me is horrible. It's this twisty nightmare maze. So, yeah, that's a bad car park because I'm noticing it. And um, it's also this place where kind of anything can happen. I, I'm a big fan of my magical realism where it's kind of like magical things hit the mundane as hard as possible. It's like this idea that you just turn up this park park, you find like a ghost hunter who's trying to find a ghost, or you know, I'm trying to find potatoes and this person's doing this. And then from there, it's like, how do you make this game function in this environment? And so I sort of started riffing on the mechanics for it. And I wanted something that was very quick, very immediate, because date the podcast horribly, but one of the biggest influences on my design is the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Full stop. Because I had two D&D groups for the pandemic. Don't know. Any games I'm playing now are calls, like Discord calls, where we just had a free moment. Mm. And while doing Lord of the Rings is fun, someone's going to get, you know, someone's cat's going to decide they want to get involved, or someone's going to have to go and eat or be sick in two minutes, you know, or 25 minutes. So if, if we're going to keep doing character creation, it's pointless. So Mega Mart was built around, I want from the first turn, everyone should be able to go full throttle chaos. And that's where I had the idea of like, skills are anything you want them to be. Uh, and then the idea of, you can just decide, I want a new skill and add it to your thing. Because a big problem I find with chaotic games, or games with a lot of skills, is it's very easy for the game to shift. And then for what you thought to be useful to turn out to be absolute useless. You know, because you spec up coming in for a game where you're, you know, trying to beat up a security guard and it's like, oh no, there's actually now T-Rex. <laughs> well, my fake 
fake ID is going to go well now. <sighs> Hello, Mr. T-Rex, I'm 18. It's like, <laughs> so I want the idea where you could just sob out things, where you very quickly go, actually, no, sob this. Don't want that apparently more. I want this new one. This seems like an incredibly hackable game, too. As long as you have a defined space, this game oh, takes yeah. place entirely in a fill-in-the-blanks and then go for it. Oh, you could totally, you could totally take it further. And I've considered maybe floating it as a jam thing at some point mm. the next couple of months up. I'm very nervy about doing big community things right now just because 2020 was an absolute nightmare mess and 2021's not looking any better. Right. So I don't really want to make plans for more than a couple of months in advance because who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is totally a game you could play with any sort of liminal space. Anywhere mm. where the purpose, its purpose is to serve another purpose. But then, obviously, the big mechanic from that is still my favorite thing is, what the fuck is this doing here? <laughs> yeah. Because I, I love I, I love the Star Trek ass pull. <laughs> I'm also a bigger Tokusatsu fan, so that has so much of, like, oh, no, the villains got stronger, but we've got this new power-up we've never mentioned. <laughs> it was in a rock this whole time. <laughs> I just love that idea of, just like, there's a thing I want. Oh, there it is. And it opens up so many options for just... Because once it's introduced, it's there now. So while one player might want a laser gun, you've got to think, in five turns, what happens when someone else picks that up and starts going, hmm, I could use this. And yeah, the Mega Mart was also so much fun to design because it looks like a supermarket flyer, which I just really yes. like. Because they're another part of this amazing ephemera when you think about it. Because I'm not sure there's a term for it, but when you realise everything in the world has been made by someone... Like, you look at a supermarket flyer and go, huh, someone got paid to make this. So someone, probably someone with a design degree, went to school and now are trying to sell me avocados. <laughs> That's either terrible or the most brilliant thing about the human system ever imaginable. Like, everything is made by someone. From, like, obviously, like, Mona Lisa to that sign on the wall saying, please don't urinate in this alleyway. People sat down and had this conversation about them. I don't further if you've ever seen the nuclear dump warning signs. Yeah, yeah, there the is no honor. Ten thousand years. Yeah, yeah, there's no honor in this place, which is mm. you, see, you read about how they built these. It's amazing because it's so much kind of psychology on top of research psychology going on, of like, well, we can't say don't go in here because the first thing we'd all do is go in here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I definitely want to have to you know, this is kind of from a place and a time, and it was one of my favorite random accidents was originally I was going to make loads of brand name, fake brands, put in it. But for a while, I was like, I'm just going to put in stock loose items, just for now. Was, actually, I really like this, because it, it really hammers home that this is real, but slightly weird. Because the lack of brands is kind of not what you would see coming. You don't really see loose products on these pictures. Mm. So it really puts home that Megamart's a bit odd in its own special way. And um, that made me happy because the one thing I also, if you're not familiar with Meow Wolf. No, I'm not. They are an arts collective. They have uh, sort of big installations, one of which, the new one now is called a Megamite. It's a fake supermarket. But they're like adventure playgrounds. One of, them, one of them is the House of Eternal Return, where they open the fridge and it's like a portal going through to somewhere else. They're <laughs> amazing. But wow. they have this whole idea of taking this normal space and absolutely messing it up in bizarre ways and i just love that idea of having this supermarket that it's still recognizably a supermarket but if you saw it from its flyer you'd probably go i don't trust these people <laughs> this is a mob front this is not a real supermarket oh, mob fronts are great <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of my favorite memories locally to me is there was a darts cafe mm. and i wanted to go in there i like darts um I went in with a friend and when we went in, there were no dartboards, but there were four very burly men in suits at a poker table and they turned and looked at us and we just quickly left. <laughs> then like three months later, it closed down. I never saw a dartboard in the place. <laughs> I think it might have been in front. Maybe. <laughs> I, I just love this idea of like these places that are recognisable, but at the same time, absolutely not recognisable. And I I think I try and do that with a lot of my stuff in just like, here's this place. It might not be what you think it is, but you definitely have the anchoring 
to understand your position within it. Mm. And that's another really nice thing. I think um, one thing, again, I can't really claim credit for it, it was really a happy accident for Megamart, was it balances itself out between this is something that you can tell pretty much anybody coming into your game, we're in a parking lot. Right. And they'll get it. But it's also not restrictive enough to be able to make them go, oh, could I do this? It's like, no, you can do anything. There's any option you want. However stupid is here. But there is that grounded base everybody has where they can kind of envision what the space will look like. You know, it's asphalt lines and trolley carts and some cars. And it's great because it means anyone can so easily jump in regardless of knowledge. I think something that kind of throws me like is so many TRVs, big part of picking the game you want to play is sort of working out what people want. Hmm. And I, I, I joke a lot. People are like, oh, I want a sci-fi RPG. So I'm like, oh, there's a version of um, Traveller. I really love that adds real-world astrophysics. It's like, okay. oh, you wanted a sci-fi game, right? Did you know this is sci-fi? It's got, you know, we just got to do terminal shift every 25 minutes. It's only five pages of math. <laughs> then you realize, no, people want Star Wars, right? which is very different. So having, like, being able to quickly build that logical base of knowledge is very important for a game. And so everyone kind of knows where we stand, what we're doing. And it, you see, that's what Session Zero is for in most games. Like, is this sort of Lord of the Rings where, you know, elves and dwarves don't like each other? But, mm. Or is this, you know, I'm trying to think, think of another fantasy, Red Wall, where everyone is a hamster. <laughs> you know, they're very similar genres, but you've got to know what you're doing. Else the player who doesn't know is going to be absolutely lost. And I those limits. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I've totally had that with games I've like joined or signed up for where it's like, oh yeah, this is following the rules of this book series, but I've never read it, so uh-huh. Right. Like it's oh you shouldn't lick those crystals. Well I'm sorry, I've never read the book where that was told to me. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and my character would have no way of knowing that. So yeah, that was kind of the Megamot was game. I know this idea is just riffing on itself until it became hey, this is a thing I think actually has a lot of fun. And it kind of built and built, and then you end up running out. Yeah, I like this, and then the mechanics just felt very natural. Like I considered other mechanics, which then got dropped because they just didn't feel like they were being used. And when I sort of tested the game myself, it became a thing of would I ever use this in play? Not really. Like I could have had a more defined combat thing. I was like, nah, not really, because combat isn't saying like if i'm given the option to do anything in this i'm very probably not going to punch my problem away i'm going to put it in a shopping cart and shove it down a hill (laughs) because that's funnier like you're giving me shopping carts i want to do something with shopping carts or you know you're giving me like cars i want to do i want to start flipping cars or shoving them around and doing all this weird stuff with them (laughs) so do i want punch not really do I need combat? No, I'd much rather have that. You can have a skill being I'm good at punching things, but you can apply that however you want. Be it punching a cart or deciding I'm going to try and make a hole in the floor by smacking it repeatedly. It does a good job of giving you those hard limits to play in, but also giving you the freedom to just royally fuck them up if you want to. <laughs> oh, yeah. Chaos is beautiful. I love like chaos. And I think TWs are a great medium for chaos. And I think you see it in a lot of like all the best stories you see are people absolutely rat-fucking the rules. <laughs> like, you just sit, continue, like, even, like, some of the big, sort of, famous ones that get passed around, they're all not really technically legal right. in the rules as written. And that's one of the... I think one of the beauties, one of the awkward things about TTRBGs as a medium, is that the rules are... You can just ignore them if you want to. But at the same time, that's also a very necessary thing because it's not a video game. I can't put an invisible wall up and say, you know, if a player tries to go over here, immediately kick them back. Tell them no. I can't do... Unless I'm going to stand at your table with a stick. (laughs) I can't stop you if you want to go in this way with it. Is that a service you offer? Uh, Stick beatings? Yes. Excellent. Post-pandemic, obviously, because I don't have a stick long enough. Look at a seven-foot stick, you'd be all set. <laughs> One foot for handle, stick. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. that's, that's the new LARP, just running through the woods being chased by someone with a stick. 
Uh, yeah, but it's a big sort of thing. The, you, know, you can't stop players totally ignoring your rule set. You can encourage them to use them. Um, this kind of the idea, I thought it reminded me of the, path, the path of least resistance you see come up a lot, mm. where you have like a path and some grass and the grass is totally worn down because right. people will walk the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. Often that's the grass. And that's what I think about with rules as well. Like you can try and guide people, but you have to accept that Sometimes it's best to not guide them and be like, you know what, you do this. Yeah, come, let's make it a thing. You're going to do it anyway, so I might as well encourage that type of play rather than trying to force you to do another type of play you might not be into. So I want to be sensitive to your time. I know we're up against our oh, hour limit. Don't worry about it. Um, is there anything that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet that you just really want to make sure our listeners know about Ooh. or hear about? Many upcoming projects, things that are going oh, on in your life. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Dear diary, um, <laughs> I have a lot of upcoming projects, but I can't talk about many of them. Uh, I'm not sure saw what the time scales on them are. Probably my next game, which might already be out by the time this comes out, is mm. called Turbine Burn, okay. which is a mech game, which I basically rewrote because I desperately wanted to Super Sentai robots together. Like I had mechanics like, nope, no, nope, if we're going to have robots, they've got to Super Sentai together and be bigger. That's got to be, the, I will not do robots unless that's a thing. And later in the year, I might have a. I'm working on a couple of projects with Mimic um, Monster, the artist. Which one was meant to come out last year, but because of taste reasons, it didn't. But you should probably keep an eye out for that because I think I'm really excited about it. But last year was not the time to be releasing it for tonal reasons. Sure. But it's very. When it comes out, I think everyone's gonna love it. And also, unlike me, she can draw. Mm. which is great, so it means it'll actually look nice. <laughs> <laughs> She's actually really good at designing as well, but it's just nice to be able to have something that doesn't look like trash. <laughs> or isn't me in Photoshop going, oh, <laughs> stop photos and layers. <laughs> or isn't a picture of my face, because a couple of the games are actually my face laid on things. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it is, what's it called? It's one of the DMs Guild things, Twisted Wish. It's okay. actually my body, I, and it's filtered to hell, mm. because I'm but it's, I couldn't find a good face. I didn't want to use someone's actual face in the stock because it's kind yeah. of a dark theme. Mm. The face, I'll just do mine. It's through enough filters, you can't tell. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much where I stand at the moment with projects. I'm terrible at releasing things in advance. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see. I definitely think Turbine Burn is probably the next. I have a smaller one-page game coming out, which is probably the most stupidly on-brand thing I've ever done. If only because it is, uh, in theory, and this is big because the name's in working still, mm. which is my girlfriend has turned into a car and we're both trying to escape the city, <laughs> which is a very on-the-nose reference to The Adolescence of a Tina, which is one of my favourite films and has the best line in film history, which is, you thought you were the only person who could turn into a car? I'm a car now, too. <laughs> <laughs> Shakespeare ain't got shit on that person. <laughs> It's if you ever get the game. chance to watch Alice in I recommend it because it's just animators going off on one for 90 minutes. <laughs> but the, whole thing is, the whole <laughs> thing is just bizarre. It's one of my favourite sort of franchises. So it's definitely something I've, like, I've referenced it enough at this point uh, <laughs> among friends. I'm not sure if you've seen the Zelda meme where it's like he's holding up something. He's like, oh, it's my sleepover. I get to pick the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a personal one of that a friend made, which is it's my project. I get to reference Utina turning into a car as much as I want. <laughs> I will have to find this and put a link in the show notes so that everybody can enjoy this. I can take you a link when we're done. <laughs> yeah, please. Star, thank you so, so much oh, for coming it's been on the a joy. show. Absolutely. As always, um, you know, you have a standing offer to come back whenever you want. You know, I hope we get to play some games. Up on Honestly, I've had a ton of fun. So I'd love to play games with you someday soon. Hopefully, we get more of of your reviews up soon too we'll sort something out absolutely uh thanks again and i'll make sure i put all your content info in the show notes so don't worry about that so hey <laughs> thank you take care thank you hey folks it's nate i want to thank star again for coming on the show and telling us about all their games and just for being one of my favorite designers out there honestly uh i'm also very lucky enough to have star as one of our regular members of our discord so if you want to come talk to them and hang out and pepper them with amazing questions, come on and join us. And if you want to go support their fantastic endeavors with all their games, uh, follow the link in the show notes to their itch.io page, and you'll be blown away by just the amount 
of amazing and weird disparate games that they've come up with. So top-notch work, Star. Keep it up. And next week, we're playing one of their games, one of their uh, games that I love. My girlfriend has turned into a car, and we are escaping the city. I think the episode turned out great. I cannot wait to share it with y'all. And in the meantime, uh, yeah, go check out their games. They're fantastic. If you want to support the Pot of Blunders, please consider heading to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash potofblunders, all one word. We've got membership levels ranging from $1 to $10 a month, which will get you access to things like our Discord, exclusive episodes of Jumping the Street Sharks, as well as a variety of other perks. You can also support the show and help us bring more attention to amazing indie authors by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate any help you can give. We love hearing from you. You can always find us on Twitter at Pot of Blunders, and you can also reach us via email at potofblunders at gmail.com. Want more reviews, interviews, actual plays? Head to potofblunders.com and learn about even more amazing indie games. Thanks for listening. For the Pot of Blunders, I'm Nate Magnuski, and as always, may all your Ds be 12s.